Welcome to the newest episode of Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. I'm your host, Jason Fraley, picking the brains of the top filmmakers, musicians, and artists of our time. The Batman arrives in movie theaters this Friday, and social media is blowing up with praise for Oscar-winning composer Michael Giacchino. We spoke when he performed his Jurassic World score live at the Kennedy Center in 2018, and also discussed his previous collaborations with Batman director Matt Reeves in the Planet of the Apes prequels, as well as his Pixar career from Up to Inside Out to Coco. Michael, thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Now, this is going to be an awesome event. Um, the Kennedy Center and the NSO will do this every now and then with, with a movie. And, and the, you got the best conductor around, Emile DeCoux. Love the guy. He's awesome. It's going to be so much fun. Explain uh, to our listeners what exactly they're going to see. I know we get to watch the movie, you know, HD projected, but also see the NSO playing along with it. You know, what are we actually going to experience? Well, I'll be there for sure, and I'll talk to everyone beforehand, and I think we have a panel about dinosaurs and with some experts and uh, happening beforehand as well. Um, and Emil's going to do the conducting duties to the, uh, that evening, which, and he is amazing. He's like one of my favorite people to work with. We always have so much fun together. And, uh, and he loves, you know, these kind of films. You know, he and I met because he loves Star Trek, and we did Star Trek together uh, in D.C., which was a lot of fun. And uh, now we're doing this, so... They're going to come. They're going to see giant dinosaurs. They're going to see a giant orchestra. Uh, and they're going to see the orchestra do the, the tightrope act of having to play the entire score live in front of you with no mistakes because the movie doesn't stop. It just keeps going. <laughs> <laughs> it's a concert 65 million years in the making, or whatever it is. <laughs> and uh, the director, Colin Trevor, is going to be there too, right? Yes, yes, yes. Colin will be there, and he's coming in from uh, London, I believe. I'm not sure if he's actually here. So he's coming in just for this. Uh, and to be there, he'll also be part of the panel. You, you can come and ask questions of Colin and I and, and hear us talk about dinosaurs with, with, with expert dinosaur people. <laughs> That's what they actually go by, expert yeah, dinosaur they, they person. They are technically called expert dinosaur people. It's on their yeah, name, name. It's on the name you know, tag. I always wanted that title, <laughs> but I can't. I don't, I don't have enough expertness in me. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe not in that area, but you do have expertness in you. You're an expert uh, composer, sir, Oscar winner uh, from Up. Uh, but I want to know about composing uh, Jurassic World. Um, it must have been a, a challenge when you sat down to do this, because obviously there had been sequels before, but I think the franchise had been dormant for a few years, and then Jurassic World brought it roaring back to life, and there's another one coming out this year. Um, what's it like to, you know, uh, that John Williams score from the original 93 one is such an iconic score. How do you, do you, how do you go about trying to, you know, maybe weave in a few little callbacks to that, but also making this thing your own? You know, I mean, first of all, every John Williams score is the greatest thing ever. And, uh, because he's just the best there is. And it's so fun to be able to be a part of something that both he and Steven Spielberg had had a hand in years ago. I mean, these were films that I loved so much, um, you know, uh, growing up and as I got older. So I've been following them forever. So it's, at first it's slightly intimidating, but then it, in the end, the job is really just to do what's right for the film, to tell the right story for the film musically. Uh, and sometimes that means, okay, we're going to use a little bit of John's theme from the original Jurassic Park here to, to make a point about something. And other times it means that this film needs a completely new thing. You know, it's important when you're bringing these films back, these franchises, you know, and you're bringing them kind of, kind of make them new again for the public to, to do something new for them. Don't always just do what was done before. So it's about striking that healthy balance of making sure we have, you know, what we know the fans love, what we love about the old movies, but also bringing something new that they can take forward with them uh, when, we, when we come up with new things like Jurassic World and Jurassic World Falling Kingdom. And uh, it's a similar, I'm sure it was a similar um, 
exciting challenge in the same way with uh, Star Trek and Planet of the Apes. I mean, God, the latter, especially with that Jerry Goldsmith score back in the day, it's so darn yeah, amazing. Yeah, I loved that. You know, I, I, Planet of the Apes was one of my earliest obsessions. I had many <laughs> obsessions as a kid growing up, but Planet of the Apes was one of the earliest, and I... Uh, loved those movies so much. I mean, e- even to the point I loved the TV show as well when that was on. You know, I, every, Planet of the Apes were everything to me as a kid. I still have all my toys sitting behind me in, in my office uh, that I had when I was a kid. And uh, so to, to get onto that film was probably one of the most uh, fun things that could have happened for me in my career cause, uh, because I loved it so much. And I also got to work with a few of the musicians that played on the original Planet of the Apes, you know, uh, one in particular, Emil, Emil Richards, is a percussionist, and he's one of the best percussionists in the world. He played with Jerry Goldsmith on that film uh, and actually had very spe- uh, made instruments for the movie, which he then gave to me wow. to use on the new ones, which is, which is pretty great. So, you know, the history of these films and the, and the history of my love for them as a kid has been really fun for me to kind of get back into my, my 10-year-old self and... and, and tried to explore why I loved all of all of these movies like, you know, Star Trek, Mission Impossible, Planet of the Apes. It's so weird that all the things I'm working on are the things that I loved as a kid. Yeah, right. And Rogue One as well. I mean, that's a start. Yeah, I mean, Star all, Wars. all these. Yeah. But just you mentioned you mentioned uh, the ten year old kid in yourself, so you know where I'm pivoting here. Man, you've become you you are the soundtrack to so many uh, not just kids but parents that all of us that go and love these Pixar movies. I mean, they they're always they're they're always made you know where you can appreciate them whether you know on one level as a kid and a whole another level with inside jokes and winks and stuff when you're an adult. But um, just uh, take me. I, I want to go into a couple of them. I mean. Um, Inside Out, that piano score. It, I mean, oh, oh, I love it. I love it. I mean, yeah. yeah I mean, it. it I'm. Ju- I can just hear it playing in my head now. How did you decide to go straight? You know, more heavy on the piano in that versus some of the other scores. Uh, I wanted something that felt very simple. You know, I didn't want something so big because I. You know, in thinking of like memories and thoughts and all of these things that go through your head. You know, it's it's it's. Um, I didn't want it to be clouded with a big, uh, you know, uh, uh, complicated statement about what I think the brain is or what I think emotions are, what I think, you know, the inside of you sounds like. And to me, the simpler I could be, the better. And I I was just sitting at the piano and I I was just messing around and I just kind of had this idea and I kept playing it over and over and it became very hypnotic and very much like a, a recurring thought, you know, that keeps coming back and it kind of turns around on itself and just keeps going. Um, and it just, I don't know, for me, it just seemed to work well. And I remember the first time I played it for Pete Doctor, he just like hugged me and, and, and said, that's it. That, that is my movie right there in those notes, you know? Uh, <laughs> and it's, so it's kind of fun to kind of, to kind of delve in, look for something that really reflects how you feel about a story. And that, that, that little statement, that little theme uh, really reflected how I felt uh, uh, about the story. You're right. You're, it's so funny when you say that, but to hear you describe it, it's it's that's exactly what it is. It kind of it circles back on itself, just like our memories looping. It's the dun 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 dun, dun. like it goes back and around. I love it. That's yes. the, you just put you nailed it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> 
<laughs> one day you I think I think this guy has promise. You should stick with it and one day you'll make it, sir. Um uh your Oscar for up. Um man, that especially with that movie, I mean, yes, a great story and script and everything, but especially I mean that opening, it's it's all your music. It's visual storytelling that that opening montage which is one of the big tear jerkers in movie history as far as I'm concerned. But uh how did you approach that knowing that that you didn't have any dialogue to help you out in those opening minutes and you had to set up and sell so much of that character arc and that story all with music. How'd you approach that? Well, it's, it's funny you mentioned that because I was at dinner the other night with the sound mixer on that film and we were talking about what it was like working on that film. And, you know, originally there were supposed to be sound effects and everything in that scene. You know, they had, they had built up all of these effects tracks and everything. So there was, you were going to hear everything and the score was going to be played basically, uh, you know, by, you know, just as you would normally do it. And it was Pete, I think, who at the session, when, after we recorded the piece, he uh, turned to Michael Semanic, who was there at the session, and said, you know, we should, maybe we should try this with no effects. You know? So when they went to the dub stage with the piece, that's what they did, and everyone watched it, and I guess everyone felt like it worked, so, and that's how it came. But it wasn't intended to be that way. It wasn't always you know, meant to be that way. You know, when you're working on these films, a lot of times you're working with storyboards for many years. And so you tend to want to fill up the soundtracks with a lot of extra stuff because the visual ideas aren't all on screen yet. Uh, and as those get filled in, you can start to realize what you do and don't need sound-wise. Sometimes you don't need music. Sometimes you don't need effects. And that was just one of the circumstances where they just felt they didn't need the effects. Uh, well, <laughs> you absolutely didn't need it. And it makes it more emotional, too. You know, when you yep. watch it, yep. you're really focused on just the emotions of what's happening as opposed to the sounds and everything feeling so real. And sometimes that really helps tell the story in a much better way. Absolutely. Well, speaking of emotions, I, I, I think I owe a couple teardrops to you, man, between Inside Out, Up, and then, you know what I'm going now, Coco. Man, oh, that, yeah. that just like weeping openly in the movie theater at the end of that thing. How Good. Do you, how, yeah, Good. I'm you, glad. That makes me very happy. Yeah, exactly. Well, thank you for melting. I'm one as of it, the few people that is very happy when someone tells me that I made them cry. <laughs> you know? well, was it, what was the Walt Disney? For every laugh, there should be a tear, right? Yes, exactly. <laughs> so, But with Coco... Coco, take me into, uh, uh, this will be the last one because we could do all your movies, but with Coco uh, infusing um, that Latin flavor and, and getting that into the score, and it's a, um, you know, uh, this is one where you have a kid who's actually a musician, so how, what was the different challenge towards that one? You know, it was, it was, because the thing was I wanted it to feel like it really was born in Mexico, and, uh, you know, I grew up listening to a lot of Mexican music. I, I grew up on the East Coast. Um, but my father had an amazing record collection and he had in that collection, one of the albums was something like, you know, the music of Mexico. And I remember listening to this and it was a nice compilation of all styles, different things from, from the country. And I remember always loving to listen to that because it just felt like really good storytelling. The music was really warm. It was lyrical. It had great melodies to it. And the harmonies were just really, uh, as I said, just, just, just warm, and they embraced you. And, and that's very much how that culture is. It's warm, it embraces you, and it, and it, and it, uh, and it wants you to, to explore it in a way that is all about love. And that's kind of what that movie was. That whole story was about exploring this incredible culture uh, and being able to learn. And I got to work with amazing Mexican musicians and composers and arrangers and people that I had would never have gotten to meet if I didn't work on this film. And I feel like I just learned so much. I grew so much and, and, uh, 
it was just a very special experience. I'll never forget it. Absolutely. Yeah, never forget. We'll remember. We'll remember yes, me. Yes. Like, <laughs> thankfully, Kristen and Robert penned an all-timer for oh, you. Oh, isn't that, that one. one of the best songs ever? I oh. really... I really think that that song is like going to go down in history as one of those like, you know, white Christmas type songs. Where I'm just, with you. Yeah, everyone will know it. It's such a beautiful song. They are such great people. We had a lot of fun together. I just I just couldn't love them enough or love the work enough. You're going you're gonna to laugh. Literally every time I have to log into a computer at work, you know, there's, there's a little button that says you have to check, remember me, your password. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, 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 song, the song comes in. <laughs> well, it would be funny if it actually played every time. That, you know? I, I wouldn't be. I, w- I would actually enjoy that. Um, well, again, like I know, just so our listeners know, I mean, we literally we, we don't have time to go into all of them. But Ratatouille, incredible. Zootopia. I mean, the list goes on and on, man. You're, you're a legend in your own time for your crap. Um, before, before we let before before we let you hop off, um, I want to. I, I was geeking out when you were talking about Jerry Goldsmith earlier, but I want to know, like, what are those other great classic composers that you know? Are you? Is it? Is it Barnard, Bernard Herman? Is it Franz Waxman? Oh, or who was your? Who was? Well, who was yours? Yeah, Max Steiner is one of my absolute favorites. You know, oh. Max kind of penned what would become the very first sort of film score as we know film scores today for a movie called King Kong. Yeah, you might and, have heard of it. You know, <laughs> pri- yeah, prior to that, the film scores were basically just, they would use music for different things, or chase music, this and that. It was just pretty random. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he actually sat down and wrote melodies and themes for each of the characters. Uh, so every time Kong came on, you heard his motif. Every time Anne Darrow was there, you heard that love theme. And you, 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 you forget that that man set the template that we still follow, you know, a hundred years later. And uh, I, I, so, so I have great respect for him and all the work he's done. Uh, Bernard Herrmann and, and, and Jerry Goldsmith and, I mean, the, you know, uh, Franz Waxman and, you know, it goes on and on and on. We could be here all day, but I, <laughs> I have such a huge love of the history of film scoring and its connection to the classical music of the past, you know, and, and, and all of that sort of uh, archaeology you can do to figure out how art inspires art through the years. That, that to me, is a fascinating subject. And so, so working in film scoring is just a really fun way for me to explore the past through other people's work. I really love it. Do you have a favorite all-time score? I hate when people ask me that about a movie, but I'm going to ask you. <laughs> uh, you know what? I don't know. I have to, The moment I mention one, I think of another one. You yeah. know, um, Lawrence of Arabia, then, I, then all of a sudden Poltergeist pops into my head. And then I, you know, start thinking of, you know, uh, Gone with the Wind. I thought there's just too many to to choose just one. Yeah. Um, and I I there's and there's different reasons I love each one of them. But uh, I don't know. My 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 love of that is vast and wide and hard to narrow down into one one idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, but like you said, you guys are the classical composers of our time. So, uh, thank you so much. And everybody, you can come out and really appreciate it when you see it with that live orchestra, with the NSO, with Emile Decoux, the one and only, uh, at the Kennedy Center. So, thank Michael. You've been really generous with your time. Thank you so much. And uh, keep making us cry at those Pixar movies, all right? I'll do my best. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for joining us on Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. Remember to hit the subscribe button and give us a five-star rating if you like what you hear. We'll see you next time.
I wanted to take a second to tell you about an app I really enjoy. Living in the D.C. area is great, and Podcast D.C. gathers all of the local shows that I like all in one local app. Health, sports, local news, politics, and so much more. Podcast D.C. is the new local app with hundreds of D.C. area podcasts to choose from. I can earn exciting rewards just for listening and share the podcasts I love instantly. Available in the App Store or in Google Play, listen local with Podcast D.C.